0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Investing with Wesley. Today I want to talk to you about everything you need to know about investing and how you can get started. Let's get into it. First off, I want to talk to you about what an investment is. When someone uses the word investment, most people think of investing in stocks or bonds or some form of stock exchange. But really an investment is just the act of putting up some money in hopes to get more money back. So you see, there's more to investing than just investing in the stock market. As an example, you can invest in real estate, you can invest in commodities like gold, silver, or oil. You can invest in stocks, you can invest in bonds, mutual funds, ETF, or you can even be an angel investor and invest in a private company. Now, when it comes to investing and investors, there's five levels of investors. The first level is the extreme beginner level. This is someone that has no extra money to invest. Therefore, they're not investing. Level number two are the savers are losers investor. Because just because you're saving a lot of money and putting it away into your savings account doesn't mean you're investing. As we talked about in a previous video, inflation on average is 2% a year. So if you're just a saver and you're not investing, then you're losing 2% of your money every year. Now, the level three investor is the I'm too busy investor. Now, a level three investor is wise enough to invest their money but they're too busy to learn how to do it themselves. So the level 3 investor is someone who hires a financial advisor like myself to invest the money for them. Now there's nothing wrong with being a level 3 investor or being too busy to invest your own money, because you will see great returns if you hire the right advisor, of course. But the big problem with a level 3 investor is just like the age-old saying, you can give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for life. A level 3 investor has to receive their fish for dinner every night by their advisor. But if they took the time to learn how to invest themselves, then they could reap all the rewards for themselves and not pay an advisor. Now the level 4 investor is the DIY investor. This is someone that takes the time to learn and educate themselves how to invest properly and reaps all the rewards by themselves. The DIY investor makes their own decisions and uses their own money and risks their own livelihood. But because of this and because of them having more skin in the game, they take their job seriously and educate themselves and learn everything there is to know about investing. And one of the biggest pros about being a DIY investor is that if you learn how to do it properly and you see great returns, you no longer have to pay a financial advisor to handle it. So you save yourself that annual fee, and what can you do with that? Reinvest it for bigger gains. Now the fifth level of an investor is the capitalist investor, or the pro-investor. These are people like Ray Dalio and Warren Buffett. People that have a business end investing. They use other people's time, other people's effort, and other people's money to generate a return. Once you reach level 5 investing, the tax benefits are absolutely amazing. If a level 5 investor structures their investments properly, they'll pay zero dollars in taxes when they make a profit. And it goes without saying, if you're a professional investor or a level 5 investor, the gains you could receive on all your investment using other people's time, other people's effort, and other people's money is astronomical compared to the DIY investor who only has access to their own funds. Now for the rest of this video I want to talk to you about some key points when it comes to investing, namely the taxes associated with investing, what returns you should be looking for, professional management versus DIY, what diversification is, and what the phantom money or phantom income is. So first when it comes to returns and what you should be looking for, honestly it all depends on what kind of portfolio you're putting together and for what purpose. As I explained to you in a previous video, a short-term savings investment should not be as risky as a long-term wealth building account. When it comes to short-term investing, you want to sacrifice some of the upside gain for downside protection, because you have a short time horizon on when you might need that money. And on the flip side, with a long time horizon, where you won't need the money for very long, you want to be as aggressive as possible with your gain. So the rule of thumb I try and go by whenever I'm investing for the short term is anywhere from six to 9% gain. The rule of thumb when I'm going long-term is 12% or more. This leads me into our next topic, which is what is diversification? Diversification is spreading your investment or your money across multiple different kinds of investments. I'm sure you've heard the saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. When it comes to investing, you should never have 20% or more of your income in any one asset class. A general rule of thumb is no more than 20% in one class and no more than 5% of your money in one particular stock. Another rule of thumb when it comes to diversification is every 90 days to trim off some of the fat when it comes to your investing. If one of your stocks has produced a lot of income, after 90 days, sell a portion of it off and make sure you stay within your five or twenty percent ratio. Now the next two things I want to talk to you about are the taxes associated with investing and phantom money that is also associated with investing. Now it goes without saying you only pay taxes on your gains and depending on how long you've held your investments that will adjust the capital gains tax you pay. Short-term capital gains tax is calculated by whatever income tax rate you're currently at. Long-term capital gains is anywhere from 0, 15, or 20% in tax, depending on your income level. If you're extremely wealthy and being taxed at almost 50% of your income, a long-term capital gains rate of 20% looks a lot more favorable. Now when it comes to phantom money, this is unrealized gain or unrealized loss. As an example, if you invest in a stock and the stock goes up, and you see in your portfolio you are up $300, you are not taxed on that money until you realize the gain and sell off your stock. Likewise, if the stock plummets and you're down 30%, you don't actually take that loss until you sell. A lot of beginners that invest themselves make that mistake. They see their portfolio is down 20 or 30% and they sell, but all you did was lock in the loss. If you had just remained patient and waited for the stock to go back up, you could have at least broke even if not turned that stock into a win. Now when it comes to taxes and gains and losses, I already explained to you what the gains taxes is, but what if you take a loss on your investment? How does that affect your taxes? Well, the amount of money you lose in an investment can be treated as a tax deduction to the rest of your income. There are some limits on how much you can claim in any one year, but you also can roll over any excess for future years. We can't really get into the limits on this because I am not a tax professional, but just know it's not all bad if you take a loss on your investments because they can save you money in taxes in the future. If you're curious about what percentage you'd fall in for long-term gains, I'll put it up on the screen now. As you can see, if you're single and make up to $40,000 in a year, you'll pay a long-term rate of 0%. If you make anywhere from $40,001 to $441,450 in a year, you'll receive a 15% tax on your long-term gains. And If you make over that amount, you'll receive 20%. Married filing jointly is up to $80,000 to hit the magical zero. Then it goes to 15%, and any more than $496,600 in a year is a 20% rate. Now I also want to remind you that it's only your gains that are taxed. If you put $5,000 into an investment and grow it to $5,500, your initial $5,000 is not taxable. Only the $500 you make on top of that is. Now, when it comes to professional investors or investment advisors, there's some pitfalls that people have to look out to. As an example, some professional investment advisors charge a massive 5% annual fee of your investments. That means, Every year they manage your money, they take 5% off the top just to do that. Now, I'm not going to argue that a professional investment advisor, including myself, should get compensated fairly for the value they bring to you. But 5% is an extremely large amount, especially in down years. For example, how fair is it that your portfolio goes down 10% in a year and they take an additional 5% off the top to pay their fees? That doesn't seem very fair to make you lose even more money than you've already lost in a year. On top of that, there's also investment advisors out there that receive a commission or compensation, one way or another, for recommending extremely expensive funds. When it comes to fees and receiving compensation for putting a mutual fund or an ETF account in your portfolio, some of these fund companies will compensate the investment advisor to recommend their funds to the clients. So not only is this investment advisor taking 5% management fee, but they're also selling to you extremely expensive ETFs and mutual funds that have their own fees of themselves. So the biggest thing you need to watch out for if you're trusting an investment advisor is to watch out for all the fees that could tack on. You wanna look for an investment advisor that's completely transparent in all the fees, how they make money and how much fees each fund they're recommending Costs. You should also be aware for any mutual fund or ETF that claims its goal is to beat the market. History proves that no one can consistently beat the market unless you are a unicorn Goldilocks investor and there aren't many of those out there. Warren Buffett's on average gets 20% when the market usually only gets about 10 or 12%. But even the big hedge fund managers like Ray Dalio don't consistently beat the market. So if an investment advisor is telling you he could beat the market, or is recommending a fund that has consistently beaded the market, don't listen to them. Chances are they're scamming you into collecting massive fees so that they could line their pockets. If you're gonna take on the challenge of investing yourself and becoming a DIY investor or just want to learn more about investing, you may be interested to know some of the different ways you can invest your money. Now the easiest way is to invest in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, or ETFs. Now even when it comes to investing in just pure stocks, There's a bunch of different kinds. There's convertible stocks, preferred stocks, or common stocks. If you don't want to invest in equities and instead you want something a little bit more safe, then people invest in bonds. Now the reason bonds are considered more safe than stocks is because a bond gets paid out in the event of bankruptcy before a stock does. Now when it comes to the other two forms of paper investing, which are mutual funds and ETFs, This is where it gets a bit confusing because they're very similar. An ETF stands for an Electronically Traded Fund, and how they both work is very similar. The premise of them both is a group of people, in this case you, the investor, put your money into this fund, and then the investment manager invests that pooled money into the market. Now it could be into an index like the S&P 500 or Russell 2000 or it could just be into a variety of stocks to achieve some sort of goal. ETFs are often passively managed and more often than not an ETF will be put into an index fund. All your money in an ETF will be invested into an S&P 500 for an example or some other index and the investment manager after that typically steps back and just lets the S&P 500 in the market do its thing. On a mutual fund however Mutual funds are actively managed by investment managers. Just like an ETF, you put your money, you group your money together with other investors and the active investment manager invests that money to achieve whatever goal that mutual fund has. Some mutual funds as well as ETFs are indexed to the S&P 500. Others have other goals like consistent monthly income through dividends or aggressive growth gains now typically etfs because they're not as actively managed are cheaper in the fees than mutual funds but i should warn you just because an etf is cheaper and typically indexed to a particular market doesn't necessarily mean it's the best investment currently we're seeing a growing bubble in the etf markets where more people are putting their money in ETF index funds and the price of the ETF that's indexing the market is more expensive than the market itself. But I'll talk to you more about the ETF bubble in a later video. Typically, if you're going to be a DIY investor and you want to stay away from stocks, bonds, and other things that require a lot more active attention, most people put their monies either in indexed ETFs or mutual funds. If I was a passive investor like yourself and didn't want to worry too much about it, I would gladly pay a small fee to a professional mutual fund manager to make my money grow. That way, I wouldn't have to worry about it. Now, when it comes to commodities, there's several different kinds of commodities. There's gold, silver, and other precious metals. There's oil and electricity and other natural resources. Even many years ago in the early 2000s, people were buying, selling, and trading Beanie Babies, those little plush toys, as a commodity and making a profit now i wouldn't recommend buying and selling beanie babies to make a profit but that just goes to show how vast the word commodity is used when it comes to investing most people will put their money in commodities when it comes to gold silver and oil and for the diy investor out there no more than five percent of your portfolio should be in commodities like gold or silver commodities are often looked at as safe investments gold in particular is the most famous of the commodities because it has inherent value. Gold will always be worth a large amount of money. And people put their money in gold as a hedge against inflation and a hedge against the stock market. If the stock market plummets and so does the value of the US dollar, the price of gold typically goes up. That way, you can even out some of your losses. Again, it's all part of diversification. But all you need to know in the scope of this video is that when it comes to starting a proper portfolio, 5% in gold or other precious metal commodities is typically the way to go. Now once you have your paper portfolio completely diversified, you might want to venture into something like real estate. When buying real estate, there's numerous ways to calculate what a good investment is. There's growth, there's cash flow, there's speculation of real estate which is more uh, fix and flip. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to the definition of investing, putting your money up front hoping for a larger gain. Now, when it comes to investing in real estate, you also have to account for your expenses because that's the only way you'll know whether you truly made a profit or not. If you bought a property and held it for 10 years and in those 10 years, the property value gained $10,000 but you spent $30,000 in interest, you didn't make a profit, you were negative $20,000. That example was an example of a philosophy of real estate investing where it's only gains. Some people like to focus on the cash flow as well. In that same example, if you bought a house and held it for 10 years, but was renting it out and somebody was paying all those interest and fees for you, then your profit margin looks a lot better because it wasn't costing you anything out of your own pocket. And maybe all those months that you were accumulating for 10 years, you were even positive in rent, so you were receiving some sort of monthly income as well. Now, a lot of people here on YouTube and a lot of other financial advisors will recommend real estate investing. And a lot of people have that as a goal to have about four or five other properties all renting them out, receiving positive cash flow every month. And that's a great goal. But it should be known that if you don't structure it properly, you're opening yourself up for extreme tax liabilities and legal liabilities because you're going to be renting these out. Comment down below if you want me to make a video explaining to you the proper way to structure your investments or your real estate investment. And lastly is the private equity investor or the angel investor. These are people that have a substantial amount of money that want to invest in private companies that aren't on the stock exchange yet. When you think of angel investor, think of Shark Tank. These are people that give small businesses or private businesses a large sum of money in exchange for a percentage of equity in the company. And this helps both the small business and the investor. It helps the small business because it gives them the income and the funding needed to grow and become a successful big business. But it also helps the investor because when that business does grow and become more profitable they now own a small percentage of the equity of that company if ever they were to sell in the future when the company is more established and more profitable they make that much more money in the end now as far as the investment vehicles go there's numerous kinds of vehicles. There's your standard brokerage account, which you think of when you think of Robinhood, ETrade, or Webull, links in the description down below. There's also tax-advantaged vehicles like IRAs, Roth IRAs, 401Ks, 403Bs, 457Bs, you name it, there's a tax advantage plan for it. Now, each of these vehicles have different limits. For an example, currently, a Roth IRA and IRA is max you could put in in any one year is $6,000. Or if you're over the age of 50, $7,000. Now when it comes to 401k, the annual limit unlike the IRA of $6,000 The 401k's limit is $19,500. Now, if you put your money into an IRA, Roth IRA, or even a 401k, because they're considered tax-advantaged accounts and because they're regulated by the IRS, there are rules on what you can and cannot put your money into. As an example, for your standard IRA or 401k, you can't put a real estate portfolio into it. Now, there's some ways to do it in regards to an IRA, and you could do a self-directed IRA and put whatever you want into there. Again, we'll talk more about that later but generally speaking, there's rules on what you can and cannot put in there. Now your standard 401k, IRA, 403b or 457b, your standard account is tax deferred, meaning all the money you put in there pays zero taxes until you reach 59 and a half and take your money out. However, if you qualify for the Roth type of investment, the Roth IRA or the Roth 401k or Roth 403b. If you qualify for the Roth title of an investment, then your investment grows using after-tax dollars and is completely tax-free, assuming you reach age 59 and a half before you take your money. Now, what are the pros and cons of Roth and traditional? Traditional uses pre-tax money, so every year when it comes tax season, all the money you put into your retirement account could be a tax deduction if you use a traditional vehicle. But if you use a Roth vehicle, you get zero tax deductions every year. However, the benefit of a Roth is that it is completely tax-free, not tax-deferred, assuming you take your money after age 59 and a half. Now, if you watched my previous video, you'll know that a proper investor who knows how to structure their investments pays zero dollars in taxes. Let me give you a quick idea on how that's possible. So an example, if I'm the investor and you have a home that I want to invest in, I'll put up the money to buy the house, renovate it so it looks extremely nice and I can get top dollar for rent. Then after that, I refinance the mortgage into a higher rate and withdraw as much equity from the property as I can. All that equity that I withdrew and took out as a loan is interest free. Now, granted, it's still a loan that does have to be paid back, but I now have a renter in there paying all that back, so it's not costing me any money out of pocket to pay for that loan because someone else is doing it. But in return, I got as much equity as I could by the refinance, and all that income because it's loan proceeds is tax-free. So you could see why investing in real estate or investing in a private business, when structured in that way, is completely tax-advantaged because all your gains can be realized completely tax-free if you structure it properly. In closing, guys, I just wanna say that if you wanna carry on the conversation, feel free to message me using any of the links down in the description below. And if you need help setting up a portfolio or just want me to look at your portfolio to see where you could adjust some things, feel free to message me. I'm here to help you guys and add as much value to you as I possibly can. So if you have any questions, don't hesitate to message me, but until our next video, have a good one. Hey everybody, I just wanna say thank you for making it all the way to the end of the video. If you got value from this video today, please like and subscribe because it really helps the algorithm in helping my channel grow. And if you wanna take your personal finances to the next level, stay tuned because these videos talk all about that.